The reading for today is from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face various trials, consider it a joy, because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance complete its work, so that you may be complete and whole, lacking in nothing. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Let the brother or sister of humble means boast in having a high position, and the rich in having be humbled, because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field. Its flower fails, falls, and beauty perishes. In the same way the, with the rich, in the midst of a busy life, they will wither away. The word of the Lord. This morning we're starting in a series of sermons on the book of James. Now when I tell people that, they, they usually have one of two responses. Oh, I love James. That's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's so practical. Or, I don't like James. You know, James is, uh, is too rigid and too uh, critical and, and whatever. So... Uh, That, that's the response. The book of James, though, is a fascinating scripture. It is practical. It is demanding. It's action-oriented. Now, James says that faith itself isn't enough, that you have to have action or your faith isn't real. Uh, Martin Luther famously thought it shouldn't even be included in you know, scripture. He thought it was focused too much on works and not enough on grace. So it's a challenging presentation. The letter is written to the Christian Jews of that day who were scattered all over the world, largely because they were being persecuted and they needed to get out of town, literally. James begins his letter with a, a very challenging um, bit of advice. He said that we should respond to difficult things with gratitude and even joy because of how God will use these experiences in our lives. Help me use this. I turn mine off. Next time we're outside, this is gonna work so well. (laughs) We'll We'll be all set. So, you know, count it all joy when you fall into these various temptations, trials, difficulties, challenges, things that uh, are very hard to face. And he says, find joy in that. Now, that sounds like crazy advice to, to some of us. Uh, but that advice, it, it takes time to develop that. It doesn't always happen right away initially. Now, there are some scriptures that we can quote to ourselves, and we know what we mean by it, and it makes perfect sense. You try to quote it to someone else in the middle of their challenges, and they say, you know what, thank you, I'll see you later. Uh, Tell someone who just has a diagnosis of one thing or another, hey, 
find great joy in that because this is going to test your faith. And it's going to deep. You know what? I got to go. People just aren't interested in, in us advising them in what seems like a shallow, uncaring way. We can say it to ourselves because we know what we're reaching for, but to say it to someone else at those moments just doesn't work. See, trials are anything that make us feel like giving up. Feel like giving up. Have you had that? <clears throat> Have you had that feeling this week? You know what? This just isn't worth it. This is too hard. This just isn't turning out the way I hoped it would. Hoped it would. This isn't turning out the way I prayed that it would. I, I look around and I know enough of you to know that a lot of you can say, oh, I've been there. Or I'm there right now. And I'd be among you. A while back, a friend told me that, Mark, every six months or so, almost everyone has something going on that they need to turn to God for something they can't control, something they haven't chosen, and so on. These are the places that make us either let go of faith or reach out for faith and to be open to God's presence in our lives. So these trials can take various forms. It might be temptations or inconveniences. might be threats to our safety or well-being or disappointments that we have in circumstances. Uh, some just come with life. They're natural. They're to be expected. Some come with being faithful to Jesus Christ, and that's where the persecution would, would fit in. Uh, some come with human conflicts, and we have plenty of those these days. Well, James would agree with the thought that looking back in hindsight, we learn more through the difficulties in life than from the delightful things that we experience. As we get a bit older and kind of take stock, look back over the span of our life, the times that we feel God's presence most, and this is a paradox, we feel God's presence most is in those moments where we are out of control and we are not choosing what's happening to us and we can't change it. Those are the times we look to God and feel his presence in a way that we can't explain but that we deeply appreciate. <clears throat> when I was in seminary, a long time ago, uh, in our pastoral care training, we sometimes would write verbatims. You know what a verbatim is? It's word for word. You have a conversation with someone that's very important. You don't take notes at the moment. But later on, you write down everything that was said, verbatim. And when I was first assigned that, well, I can't remember that. I can't remember what I said, let alone what they said. Well, you do the best you can. Well, I found a verbatim recently that I had written uh, about a conversation that I had with God. And this, God was, this uh, conversation was at Starbucks, which is where I had some of my best conversations with God. It starts out with me talking. I, I'm having black coffee and a croissant. God isn't having anything because he's already awake. It was early morning. So I said, oh God, thank you for meeting with me. I really appreciate it. God said, Mark, <laughs> you know I'm available 
I reminded you of that often. I said, I, I know, I know, but listen, thanks anyway. You're very patient with me. Listen, I'm starting these classes on pastoral care, and I'm pretty nervous about it. You know, people are facing such difficult things, and they expect us to say something, to say something that will make a difference and help them. I've got to say, I don't have a clue. God said, well, good for you, Mark. You've taken the first step. Realizing your inability is really important to making any progress at all. Thanks, I guess, I replied. Then God said, also, I have people and places where you can begin to learn what you need. And I said, oh, oh good. Is it one of the best professors at the seminary? Uh, someone, that's a great idea, by the way. Uh, someone that I could meet with in a coffee shop between classes. They could answer my questions. They could give me uh, tips on, you know, how I should talk and how I should act. And, uh, you know, a little extra mentoring. That'd be great. And God said, well, I have someone in mind to mentor you, but it's not someone from the seminary. Oh, I said, well, okay. Oh, probably a pastor with a lot of experience and great advice. Uh, to give to other people and to offer to me. And God said, well, no, not that either. So I said, well, well, who then? Well, God said, actually, it's your mother-in-law, Marge. To which I responded with, you know, you know my very, very common responses. They're one-word responses like, seriously? Really? The three-word variation is, are you kidding? God said, Mark, I'm God. I don't kid. And I said, well, but Mark has been going through some really tough health problems for years. And, and by the way, she's not easy to be around at times. I told Polly the other day that I can't even walk across the room without thinking I've done something wrong. Sometimes she's just not a happy person. God said, Mark, she's learning. And you're going to learn with her. And by the way, you're, you're showing how much you have to learn. Uh, most of the deepest learning comes from relationships, not from classes, books, seminary lectures. And you think that her moods and reactions to things are about you? Most often, usually things are not really about you. So I said, oh, God, you are a difficult person to say no to. And God said, well, I'm glad you see it that way. That's a good start also. Marge was diagnosed with cancer when Polly was in third grade. She wasn't expected to live more than a couple of years at most. Her treatments were very new at the time and very difficult. If the diagnosis doesn't kill you, the treatment might. Whenever she had one of her surgeries, they, they brought her chart with her to the operating room. It wasn't a manila folder stuffed with papers. It was a cart 
filled with piles of manila folders from all of the treatments and all of the surgeries that she had had already. That was pre-computer days, of course. When Polly and I were first together, Marge was in a rough place. She was in pain constantly. And uh, a lot of pain, a lot of uncertainty. A couple years later, I entered seminary, and Marge was glad for that. Her faith was very strong and very important to her. And uh, it helped her deal with life and death issues over and over and over again. It provided both comfort and courage for her. So when I entered seminary, she took me on as a project. I became her pastor, even before I knew what I was doing. When she would enter the hospital, which she did every two, three years, she'd call and she'd say, well, Mark, I need my pastor. So I'd come, put on my pastor's hat, take off my son-in-law hat. She told me anything, told me everything. I could ask anything. She talked with me about things she wouldn't tell anyone else. Over the years, she became softer in her responses. She had more support. She was reminded of God's presence. Uh, it wasn't someone judging her, it was someone who knew less about life than she did, but who would pray for her and be there with her. And I became wiser because I had to deal with real immediate issues, not hypothetical questions. She told Polly once that she would never have chosen these things to happen. And she would never trade what she learned through it all about faith and life and love. She was strong. She learned to accept what realities were before her with faith. She also learned to pass on that wisdom to others in life. You know, our favorite definition of wisdom is that wisdom is healed pain. And that's why the section in James 1 about painful things and wisdom, they go right together. She had lots of pain and acquired lots of wisdom. Now the joy that James refers to is not usually immediate. It takes time to recognize God's presence in the dark times. But it's in dark times that we learn to trust him most. And it changes us as we do that. It's not a superficial kind of, hey, I'm facing really tough things. I'm so happy about that. That's, it's not that kind of joy at all. It's I'm facing tough things again. And I believe that as time goes on, I will learn to receive God's presence. I will learn to accept the reality that God is for me, that God is next to me, God is within me, and he'll help me. He'll help see me through this. Now we've asked two people uh, to join, join us today also, Chris Eide and Kim Grooms. They flipped a coin earlier to see which one would go first, but they're each going to tell us a bit of their story about some of the challenges that they faced and then how God showed up in those challenges. Apparently Chris won the coin toss. Well, Mark asked me to 
if I could talk about a challenging time, uh, a time of grief, time of difficulty, and uh, how my faith has, uh, how it affected my faith. And immediately it brought me back to a time I was 35 years old. I had two young kids. Um, I had been married about 12 years, and I thought things were really good. And uh, then one day my husband comes to me and he says, um, I'm unhappy. I don't want to be married anymore. I don't love you anymore, and I want to, I'm leaving. And um, I was devastated. I was shocked. I, I thought, how could I not see this coming? And um, I immediately got a counselor and uh, decided we needed to get some counseling. And after one or two sessions, the handwriting was on the wall. He was gone and not coming back. And um, I can remember calling my mother and saying, I don't think I can do this. Raised two little kids by myself, and um, she said, yeah, you can. Um, I had a lot of support at that time, a lot of friends. Colonial was my church. And, um, and then a little while later, another bomb fell. And my mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. She um, died um, six weeks after she was diagnosed. And as I, um, as I was going through that, I mean, my mother and my husband were the two closest people to me at that time. And um, anyway, I, I reached out to my friends and family and I just was a mess. I was depressed. I was, um, I just didn't, I, I was devastated. Um, I went to the, I, I, I can remember this like it was yesterday. Um, I was in my bedroom one night and I reached for the phone and I thought, there's no one to call. I put the phone back down and I don't know what happened, but some kind of revelation came over me. And I thought about Jesus. And I thought about him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And how alone he felt on his way to the cross. And he was human. And I realized he understood my pain. And at that point... Um, I felt a sense of peace and relief that I hadn't felt since the day my husband said he was going to leave. Uh, the journey was still long and difficult, um, but as I continued to go through it um, with realizing God understood and he was by my side, I made it through it and... Um, uh, those were really trying times, um, but looking back on it now, I can't tell you how I grew 
and I became confident, um, and I raised my children, and my church was behind me, and I knew that God was present, and he was never going to leave, and um, he understood me, he loved me, and that was comforting, and still is. Thank you. Mine's written down because I was having trouble keeping this to three minutes. I could go on and on. <clears throat> when I was 25, my mom in her early 50s was having trouble with playing bridge, writing, and driving her car. My dad didn't seem to be dealing with these issues, so I went to Dave Williamson at Colonial Church, who I think was the counseling minister at the time. He had been a youth minister when I was younger. I told him I thought my mom had an alcohol problem. He recommended I go to the Johnson Institute to learn how to do an intervention. I had to do this because I didn't have any siblings and my mom didn't have any siblings and my dad was kind of in denial. Um, so I did the intervention, lunch one day, lunch break from work, and my mom broke down and she said, I think I have a brain tumor. And I encouraged my dad to please get her evaluated by a doctor. It was Dr. Charles Lindemann, a longtime member of our church who I knew. Um, he called me at my apartment after the visit and he said, I think your mom has Alzheimer's. And I said, I never heard of that. How do you spell it? I did feel sorry for myself and I was a bit angry at God uh, for letting this happen. I felt so envious of my friends who had healthy 50-something mothers. And I would explain to them how I would visit my mom in the hospital after she fell and broke her hip. After the surgery, she couldn't speak and we didn't really know if she could understand what we would say to her. I visit her daily at Methodist Hospital. They actually let her stay there for three months. But I started to feel burned out, and I cut back my visits. I met my husband, Rick, in the midst of her disease. I do definitely remember thanking God profusely for bringing him into my life. Eventually, my mom moved into the same care center that my dad's mother lived in. Rick would go with me, and he'd say, which floor do you want to visit today? My mom died there at age 58. My grandma actually died two years later than my mom at 104. My dad set up the funeral service for my mom, and neither one of us spoke at it. I didn't think I could do that. I realize now that God was helping me through this tough situation as a young adult. God led me to seek help at my church. I believe God picked Chuck Lindemann to be the gentle voice to deliver the message to me on what was happening to my mom. And now as a deacon, I know that I can embrace opportunities to visit vulnerable adults and let them know that we as a church care for them, that God cares for them. I didn't have those conversations with my mom, and that was 
tough at the time, but it's even tougher now. That I wish that I had been able to do that. But I continue to learn the importance of loving your neighbor as yourself, and that helps me a lot. Whoever would have thought that some years later that each of you would be so articulate, yeah, so caring, so clear, so grounded in your faith. That's a joyful thing. And I believe that's what James is talking about. It may not happen at the moment, but as time goes on, as we continue to trust God, not perfectly, you know, the, the learning to trust God isn't a straight-up curve. No, it, it's, it's up and down and back and forth, and it's messy, as we say. But it's clear, and it's sure. And if we keep returning and turning again to God, He'll do that work inside of us and give us gifts that we didn't even ask for, but we have now. So thank you both for sharing those thoughts with us. Well, wisdom is always needed in times of stress, in times of change, and, and so on. Uh, all kinds of related questions and issues surrounding these very deep challenges. So we learn to ask in faith, we learn to listen, we learn to breathe and believe and then act. And we thank God for that ability to do all of those things.